Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide, and say... Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area. Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake now? But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say what? Dear God, she's going to kill us all. Welcome to the WKRP cast. My name is Donna Stair. And I'm her husband, Alan. This is a week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. We're getting into the music, the trivia, and the fun of WKRP. So, fellow babies, don't touch that dial. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Welcome back to the Battle of the Network Stars. Now, hold on a minute. It's not the battle. It looks like the battle <laughs> of the network stars, but it's the WKRP cast. And what is today's episode, Donna? Today, we're talking about baseball. The air date was the 15th of October, 1979, written by Hugh Wilson. The story editors, Dan Gunselman, Steve Marshall, Stephen Campman, and PJ Tarakvi. Executive story consultant, Blake Hunter. And this one was directed by Hugh Wilson. Les, while never being able to participate in sports as a child, has dreams of greatness on the baseball diamond. He accepts a challenge from the rival station WPIG for WKRP to play them in a softball game. Rivalries and hatred between the two stations rear their ugly heads. We had an air date jump with this episode. Checking in with Michael Hernandez, the account of Rock, Mike's programming grid shows our last new episode, Love or Money Part 2, aired on September 24th. The next Monday was October 1st. President Jimmy Carter spoke to the nation in a primetime address at 9 p.m. Eastern that night. You're right, the president is awfully cute. He updated us on Soviet Union combat troops in Cuba and progress on the SALT Treaty. His address took up a 30-minute block of time on all three networks. After the address on ABC, Monday Night Football started at 9.30 instead of 9.00. NBC ran a primetime Tonight Show 17th anniversary celebration with Johnny Carson. Those things always did well in primetime with tons of clips from The Tonight Show. On CBS, MASH got shifted to 9.30 and WKRP dropped from the night. At this time, MASH was the 800-pound gorilla of CBS sitcoms. Monday nights belonged to MASH. They would always get priority in a situation like this. The next Monday, October 8th, MASH launched the 9 o'clock hour with part one of a two-parter, Goodbye Radar. At 9.30 Eastern, we get a special event program, the Country Music Association Awards. The MASH episode will be ranked number two for the week, and the CMAs will come in number eight. So it's a good night for CBS, but a no-go for WKRP. On the next Monday, this Monday, October 15th, we are back to our regularly scheduled programming. MASH airs the second part of Goodbye Radar at 9, 8 Central. Those two-parters really do work. It will score a very solid number three for the week. WKRP will ride those coattails to a number four ranking on the week with this episode. I did a double take when I saw our director. 
As if Hugh Wilson doesn't have enough to do with creating, writing, and producing, now, for the first time on WKRP, he is also directing. This is only one of two episodes Hugh will direct for WKRP. Hugh is no stranger to directing. He was behind the camera calling the shots for a total of four episodes of The Tony Randall Show. We happened to reference Hugh's biography page on IMDb to get his directing history. Way at the bottom of the list, all the way back in 1972, <laughs> yeah, we're airing his dirty laundry, was something called The Bagel Report, written and directed by Hugh Wilson. It's his very first entry of any kind on IMDb. We had to know more about this. Very little is out there, but we did unearth an article from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, published in January of 1972. The Sunday feature is headed, Hugh Wilson, Filmmaker. Hugh had written a sex comedy called The Bagel Report. The title was a spoof on The Kinsey Report. The setup sounds a little like Woody Allen's 1972 movie, Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Sex But Were Afraid to Ask. The Bagel Report is a series of comic vignettes about sex. No one's having sex, but they're talking about sex to noted sex therapist Dr. Bagel. There's no plot. The good doctor is what ties the vignettes together. You're going to love this. Dr. Bagel is being played by... Bill Dial. <laughs> Hugh and Bill have been buddies forever. The article references Dial as a former critic for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Another job on top of Bill's radio gigs. The article's author, Terry Kay, seems to be a friend of Dial's. Dr. Bagel is Bill's first ever on-screen role. This episode of WKRP was only his fourth screen appearance. This episode also will be his last appearance for this series. Dial will portray Bucky one more time in the new WKRP in Cincinnati in 1992. There are some other familiar names on the Bagel cast list, like Janet Michaud. You remember she played the waitress in Goodbye Johnny and was married to WKRP music director Tom Wells. Also starring in one of his earliest credited screen appearances is Ben Jones, Ben would later play Cooter, the mechanic on the TV series The Dukes of Hazard. Just a good old boy, never meaning no harm. Beats all you never saw, been in trouble with the law since the day they was born. And run for Congress. Cooter's in Congress. Congressman Cooter. <laughs> ben mentions the bagel report in his autobiography. He said, I played a character whose fetish was wearing women's panties over his head. He was also a chain smoker. And he talked the panties. <laughs> and as he talked, the panties caught fire. <laughs> Talk about hot pants. Where is this thing? <laughs> I couldn't find it anywhere. I searched so hard for this. Okay, Hugh did this one on a tiny, tiny budget, $40,000. He got 25000 of it by taking out a second mortgage on his Atlanta home. His wife at the time was acting as producer alongside Hugh. 
This thing was never released, but it may have screened at an art house in Atlanta in 1972. I found a report of that, but then could find nothing else to support that. Hey guys, it's Al calling from the future. We were so intrigued by this bagel report find, we had to know more. We reached out to Janet Mishad Wells, Tom Wells' wife, and one of the stars of the bagel report. We had a fantastic Zoom talk with Janet. There were cocktails, there were laughs, and there was a ton of stuff about Hugh, Atlanta, Tom Wells, Bill Dial, and of course, the Bagel Report. Be watching for our entire interview with Janet Wells as a season extra. Okay, now. Back to the show. According to the website Temple of Schlock, the Bagel Report was given an X rating by the MPAA. Interesting to note, Hugh's wife was referenced as helping him. The article called her Mrs. Filmmaker, but not her name. Finding the name of Hugh's Atlanta wife was a challenge. L.A. Jamie Schmidt finally found the happy couple's wedding announcement. Hugh married Sandra... Canon Williams, October 19th of 1969. Sandra is who Hugh will divorce in the early 70s. It's this divorce that prompts his move to California for a new start. If he hadn't gotten divorced, he might have stayed in Atlanta and we'd have never gotten WKRP. We're curious how much the stress of producing the bagel report might have contributed to the divorce. Another interesting note, in one of Hugh's obituaries, his survivor list includes, quote, his dear friend Sandra Williams Player. This must be his ex-wife's new married name. She's not listed as former wife or as mother of his first child, but instead is only called Dear Friend. Okay, well, let's start this episode. Um, We're in the bullpen, and the whole gang is sitting there when Mr. Carlson enters and asks Jennifer... Hey, Jennifer, what's, what's this all about? Les comes through the door from the hallway saying hello to all of them and asking if everyone is present. He asks where Bucky Dornster is. At the tower. Well, you'll just have to call him after this meeting then. There's a very real-world reason for including Bucky in this episode. They needed nine players for the WKRP team. And as you asked earlier, who is on the air when all of them are in the bullpen? There are other people on the air we never get to meet. This must be when one of them is on right now. It's got to be. And now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye Newshawk Award winner, Les Nessman. This is the Les Nessman Bandage Report. Now here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nessman side of left hand. This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cobb award-winning journalist Les Nessman. Getting this one out of the way right up top. The response from the others is not encouraging when Les asks them if they want to play. What's the matter? Don't you want to play? No, I don't want to play baseball. Why not? Lots of grumbling. Nobody wants in on this. And Andy tries to make Les feel better by telling him that everyone there probably has plans for the weekend already. But Andy, they made me wager $200 on this game. What? Yes. So that comes out to $22 per person. Andy tells Les the pig has a good team. They're very good. Now, last year, they beat the Baptists. You know how those Baptists can play some (laughs) softball. Les starts making the argument that they would have good players on their team, 
Well, Mr. Carlson played baseball in college. They called him Moose, didn't they? <laughs> he told me he was a great, great athlete. Shut up, Les. Les goes on to say that Venus is a great athlete, too. Well, thanks, Les. How'd you know that? Simple. You're a Negro. <laughs> oh, Les. Johnny tells Les to call the pig and tell him to forget the whole thing. Les tells them he gave them his word. I... Shook on it. Wow, he shook on it. <laughs> Carlson asks who he shook with. Les tells him Clark Callahan, the station manager. Ooh, that dirty swine. He'd love to get us out on that ball diamonds just to humiliate us. Yeah, Forget it, Les. But Les tells the group that he bets they all had a chance to play baseball when they were kids. Well, some of us weren't so lucky. And he then gives this speech that paints a beautiful picture of kids playing baseball in the summer sun all summer long and then crunching through the autumn leaves. Some of us had to Take violin lessons. <laughs> Thousands of violin lessons. I don't think Les's speech is really hitting the mark. Johnny and Venus begin to dramatically cry, using Venus's uh, mint green scarf to wipe away their tears. <laughs> but Bailey stands up. I'll play Les. Les's speech got to her, and then Jennifer says that she will play too. Well, it'll give me an opportunity to wear my new red shorts. Ah! Oh, them are on board and they begin excitedly talking at once about needing bats shirts i think jennifer did that just to help less i think so too yeah. and bailey yeah she knew well jennifer knew that the red shorts would get the rest of the guys on board. well for sure but we could be the skins jennifer, now we couldn't find anything on the origin of shirts versus skins other than the fact that pretty much everybody hates to be skins and that's our gold open we're into our theme wkrp in cincinnati everything about this episode has a very different feel we aren't in front of a live studio audience and we are out at a ball field in a ballpark and i remember as a kid in fifth grade that's where we started to have field trips where you'd go to school in the morning and it seemed like a normal day, but then you'd take attendance and you'd get on the bus and suddenly now it's this whole different kind of day, which is exactly what this episode <laughs> is like. We're on a field trip to the ballpark. Because this whole episode has kind of the feel and pacing of a ball game, we're just going to, throughout the game, be dropping in some information here and there, kind of the way they do in a ball game. You don't give all your stats right at the top. You keep throwing them in throughout the game. So here we go uh, at the ball field, the WKRP uh, about ready to take on the WPIG. begins with a close-up on a purple shirt with the letters WPIG and an outline of a pig's head in yellow. The team from WPIG is on the field throwing the ball around, practicing their pitching and their hitting. Venus, Andy, and Carlson are standing on the side watching. These guys are good. I thought they were supposed to play girls too. Andy tells them they are and we see a female player catch a ground ball, and zip it over to first. 
Johnny arrives with a lawn chair and a radio. I don't think he's uh, planning on doing much playing. Johnny's whole outfit disturbs me a little bit. <laughs> well, well, we'll get to that. Liza's yelling, trying to get everybody's attention. Nobody's listening. Bailey walks right past. Jennifer walks right by, followed closely by Herb. Uh, Herb, will you stop following me? I can't help it, Jennifer. Let's ask Andy to please help him call everybody together. Andy just yells once and claps his hands. And everybody gathers around. We get a good look at Andy's very tanned torso, oiled up and shimmering in the sun. <laughs> I wonder how much time he spent in a there was sunbed some, or There was something. some pre-tanning <laughs> going on before this episode. I think you're right. Yeah. Les proudly announces... I'm sports director of KRP, so naturally I'm the coach. In addition to that, I'll be pitching today. He tells them all that it is a seven-inning slow-pitch game. And no stealing. Les has taken on all of the important roles, thinking that just by watching someone having done those, he suddenly now is going to have this innate ability to be a pitcher or to be a coach or all the things he's doing here. Les then asks Bailey to lead them in a team prayer. Why Bailey? Because you're the most wholesome. I think Art might have a run on the most wholesome. Yeah, maybe. He could could be in that one. Are we going to talk about team wear? Oh, let's talk about the team wear. Did you notice Andy's shirt? Yeah, how could you not (laughs) notice Andy's shirt? Everyone from WKRP is wearing red T-shirts with white lettering. Everyone, that is. But Andy, he's wearing a tank top so that he can show off his shimmering tanned guns and his signature tight jeans. Now, Venus showed up to play. He is wearing actual baseball pants in the breeches style. He's got a batter's helmet. He's got cleats. But since it's Venus, he has styled things up a bit with a red scarf. Carlson has on a Cincinnati Reds baseball cap and khaki pants. He's also wearing a pair of flip-up sunglasses. Les also has a Reds hat with a button-up dress shirt and bow tie on under the red t-shirt and a pair of dress pants. Herb has on the suit pants from the Love or Money Part 1 Fashion Alert. You know, the light-colored plaid ones and his white belt and shoes. None of these guys seem to take sports footwear seriously. I think, really, too, Frank Bonner must have had blisters by the end of the day shooting. (laughs) Jennifer has on her tight red team shirt and even tighter short, short, shorts and coordinated red and white tennis shoes. She is not wearing a baseball cap because how on earth could you get a baseball cap down over that hair? (laughs) Bucky is wearing an orange cap with the red team shirt and some gray pants from work. Bailey has on a dark cap that says Nicolette on it with a tight scoop neck team shirt and tight khaki pants. I did a ton of searching for Nicolette, some kind of a designer from the 70s, and could not come up with anything. And Johnny wins the prize for the most interesting uh, softball outfit. Johnny's wearing the team's red shirt with a sleeveless button-up shirt on top, unbuttoned and tied at the waist. He has on very, very short jean cutoffs and sandals. Lord, help us. Amen. All 
right. The game is about to get underway. Andy is first up at bat. He takes off his cap, shakes out that mop of hair, and puts the cap back on. He swings about a few times, getting all ready. Ball is pitched. Andy hits it, but he is out at first. Meanwhile, we get some trash talk between Carlson and WPIG's station manager, Callahan. You're going to get your clock clean today, Arthur. <laughs> we'll see about that. Artie, we are the number one radio station in this town, and we are certainly the number one softball team. Yeah, well, we happen to be the oldest radio station in this town. We're certainly the... <laughs> Here comes Herb up at bat, the team cheering him on. Herb hits it, but once again, caught in the outfield. Next up is Les. It's a swing and a miss, and a swing and a miss, and a swing and a miss. Our umpire is played by Wyatt Johnson. Wyatt has 27 credits as an actor. He appeared in TV shows such as The Incredible Hulk, Moonlighting, and Hardcastle and McCormick. For MTM, he had guest shots on The Bob Newhart Show and The White Shadow. He was also in the 1978 movie Coma. All right, Pig is up at bat. Les is on the mound, ready to pitch. Everyone is shouting encouraging things to Les. Come on, Lester. You can do it, Les! We see Johnny in the outfield, sitting in his lawn chair, reading the paper. His radio is beside him. There's a book down on the other side of him with an umbrella stuck in the ground behind him. Les does a big wind-up, lets the ball go. It just kind of goes up in the air and dribbles off down about four feet away from Les. <laughs> Andy Carlson, Bailey all head to the mound to talk things over with Les. The others are hovering around closely. Andy asks Les, how about if you try third base for a while and let Mr. Carlson pitch? Les argues that he is the pitcher. Les, try third base. No, I'm not going to do it. Les, Pete Rose played third. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Where's third? Where's third? <laughs> Poor Les. Yeah, Les is a bit out of his element here. We did a big bio on Pete Rose in the contest Nobody Could Win, but Pete is just a larger-than-life part of Cincinnati baseball. So no surprise, even though at this time Pete had already headed off to Philadelphia as a free agent, they're still using a reference to Pete to get Les to do something. Rose is at the vet, rusty again as a met. And the great Alexander is pitching again in Washington. I'm talking baseball. Pete Rose was born in 1941, and his nickname was Charlie Hustle. Rose was active in the major leagues from 1963 until 1986. From 63 until 78, he played for the Cincinnati Reds. He will return to manage the Reds from 1984 to 1989. In August of 1989, Rose was accused of gambling on baseball games while he played for and managed the Reds. Rose claims he never bet against the Reds, and no proof was ever given that he had bet against his team. But he had violated MLB conduct rule number 21 that forbids betting on any baseball game. Punishment for violating the rule was permanent ineligibility and no chance at the Hall of Fame. I would also like to throw in a bit of historical significance here. Cincinnati was home to the very first ever professional baseball team. In 1869, the Cincinnati Red Stockings declared that every one of their players was being paid to play. Up until that point, the game was played by gentlemen for sport, 
and exercise. There were a few being paid under the table here and there, but no one was admitting to it. The 1869 Red Stockings changed everything. It was their move to pro status that eventually led to Major League Baseball. There is a group out there called Vintage Baseball Players who reenact baseball as it was played by those pre-professional rules. So if you ever get a chance to check out a vintage baseball game, make sure and look one up. You can find one in your area by getting on the Vintage Baseball Association website, vbba.org. Well, Carlson's on the mound, and he has some beautiful pitches. The only problem is... Everyone on Team WPIG is getting hits, and no one from KRP can catch any of the balls. Jennifer does pick up a ball that is slowly rolling on the ground. She starts to throw it, but uh, drops it behind her. And we see Johnny continuing to read his newspaper. Things are not going well for the mighty KRP. The score going into the third inning is the Pig 7, KRP nothing. We don't see all of the top of the third. We only catch Mr. Carlson striking out. Then we've got KRP in the outfield once again. Someone from PIG hits a ball right at Les, who's on third. He panics and he falls flat on the ground on his belly. Andy, that guy tried to kill me. Yeah, I know he did, Les. Hey, Les, oh, how about trying to play first base? Andy convinces Les to play first base for a while by telling him that Pete Rose plays first base. They're going to wear out the Pete Rose card. they got to be careful with that. One of Pig's batters hits a ball. Bailey scoops it up, throws it to first. It's a nice play on Bailey's part. Way to go, Bailey. That was really good. Oh, terrific. Les gets caught up in it. He's clapping, jumping up and down, cheering for Bailey, and he totally misses the ball she just threw to him. Am I supposed to catch that? Pig's batter, of course, is safe at first. Andy leads Les out to right field. Great ball players have played right field. Now there's Clemente, uh, Aaron, who are they? Although it's pretty commonly known that the worst player on any team plays right field, and he does name two of the most famous right fielders in history. Roberto Clemente was born in 1934 in Puerto Rico. Clemente was a right fielder for the Pittsburgh Pirates from 1955 until 1972. He died in 1972 on New Year's Eve, at only 38 years old, in a plane crash. In late 1972, Clemente arranged relief flights to the Managua, Nicaragua quake victims. The first three flights were diverted by corrupt officials. When Clemente heard about this, he decided to accompany the fourth relief flight, and he was killed when the DC-7 cargo plane crashed into the Atlantic Ocean near Puerto Rico. Hank Aaron was a right fielder for Milwaukee Braves starting in 1954. When the Braves moved from Milwaukee to Atlanta in 1966, Aaron went with them. When he retired, Aaron held the record for the most career home runs, 755. Barry Bonds beat Aaron's 755 number in August of 2007, 33 years after Aaron set the record. Interesting note, Aaron beat Babe Ruth's all-time record in 1974. The Babe's record had also stood 
for 33 years. Hank was a Brave up until 1974. He finished out his playing career for two seasons with the Milwaukee Brewers starting in 74. He may have retired as a Brewer, but to his many fans, Hank Aaron will always be a Brave. So Les is standing out in right field, and he begins daydreaming about his childhood. He hears his mother's voice. Lester, time for violin lessons. Yes, mother. We get no credit for either young Les or his mom's voice. And we take a break. We'll be back with our next inning right after this. What do you get when you open the top and look inside and snap your lip and turn it over and fill it out? What do you get? Lip smacking, whip cracking, patty whacking, all of your And we're back with more action. This is an unusual episode for WKRP because it is not being shot in front of a live audience. Other than the cold open in the bullpen, this entire episode was shot at Shadow Ranch Park, a Los Angeles County public park, about a 30-minute drive from the Radford Studios. We think this episode was shot the third week of August in 1979. The day they shot it was so hot... A press release said Lonnie Anderson's nail polish melted and Richard Sanders went to lying under the benches between takes in order to get away from the heat. Shadow Ranch Park is on the site of the former 9,000-acre Workman Ranch, founded by Australian immigrant Albert Workman in 1869. Workman is credited with bringing Australian blue gum eucalyptus to California. Wizard of Oz screenwriter Florence Ryerson owned the ranch with her partner Colin Clements in the 1930s. She gave it the name Shadow Ranch because of the shade provided by the huge eucalyptus trees. The site became a park in 1962. The original historic main residence still sits in the 13-acre park. In order to get a real laugh track that synced up with the action, a cut of the episode was shown to a studio audience prior to the taping of a different episode. Those laughs were then used to create the episode's soundtrack. The laughs weren't canned, but they weren't necessarily live either. The scoreboard shows the score standing at 9 to nothing. The pig is winning. Johnny comes over and has a seat between Art and Jennifer. He shows Art how to pitch the ball with the little English on it. Johnny tells Jennifer... Use your imagination. Give the batter a little wave, a little hip action, something. All righty. So this is where those tight little shorts are going to come in handy. Yeah, Johnny's putting them to use. (laughs) Venus calls for Bucky to go to bat. Now, Bucky takes the last swig from his beer, and he asks Venus... Here, hold this. Hey, man, don't you think you've had one too many? Absolutely. Bucky hits a home run, giving WKRP their first score. When Bucky said, here, hold my drink, I really thought, I was thinking back to Tom Chehawk telling us Bill Dial was the Southerner. That is one of those Southern jokes. Hold my beer and watch this. Famous last words. <laughs> 
<laughs> I really think that's what that was a reference to. Now, Jennifer does her thing on the mound. Hello, little pig batter. Jennifer is standing next to Art. She is a wiggling, smiling, blowing kisses. She is definitely distracting the pig batters, and Callahan is not happy. Hey, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's going on? Callahan is played by Ross Bickle. Ross was born in 1947 as George Ross Bickle Jr. He has 26 IMDb credits as an actor. Ross appeared in the movies Airport 77 in 1977, The Fighter in 2010, and The Drop in 2014. On TV, Ross has appeared in almost every flavor of Law & Order. He did guest shots on the main series, Criminal Intent, and Special Victims Unit. Ross was married to Lonnie Anderson from 1973 to 1981. In a fun little twist, Ross originally auditioned for the part of Andy Travis. He didn't get the role, of course, but he did happen to take a script home where his wife got a look at the Jennifer character. What about the rest of the team? Well, since none of the other pig players speak, they don't get a credit. We gave L.A. Jamie Schmidt a challenge. Identify the other WPIG players. This was a tough assignment. He only found one, but it's a fun one. The catcher for the pig is being played by Keith Sandy, Gary Sandy's real-life brother. As far as we can tell, Keith is not an actor, and he has no other screen credits. Now, if you check IMDb looking for Keith Sandy, he's not the guy who appeared in Jamboree in 1957. That's a different Keith Sandy. Well, Jennifer's out there doing her thing, and as we said, Callahan was not happy. Herb explains to the umpire... She's our center fielder, and she's just uh, playing a little tight, you know, that's all. Hey, it's fine with me. Now we see Johnny lying down on the ground at first in a very relaxed position watching the game. It's Art's turn up at bat. I feel a little bad for Moose. Andy tells him to get a hit. Look, Andy, I really did play a little baseball when I was in college. Yeah, I know that. I know. Andy is sitting next to Les, and he's trying to cheer him up. You know, many great ball players have played more than one position, right? Right, one better. Sure. Should have stuck to the violin. My mother was right. And Carlson finishes up at bat by striking out. It's Johnny's turn Woo-hoo. at bat, and oh my goodness. <laughs> that's just almost disturbing. We get a great shot of Johnny in his cutoffs. The pitcher pitches the ball. Johnny, he kind of angles his hips into the pitch. He lets the ball hit him in the side, and you'd have thought he'd been shot. Ah! You swine! Venus runs out to Johnny's aid and drags him towards first base. And as always, anytime you got Tim Reed and Howard Hessman on the case, you're going to get laughs. It's Bailey's turn up at bat, and she gets a single. Now they have someone at first and second, and here comes Venus. He smacks the ball out to right field, and the PIG player misses the catch. Johnny rounds third base and comes home. Bailey goes to third. Venus is on second. Who's up? Who's up? It's Jennifer. She barely taps the ball, but that's really all she needs to do. It lands about five feet from home plate. 
But to catch her, Gary's brother is so busy <laughs> watching Jennifer run, he doesn't even notice that the ball is laying right over there by him. When he finally gets the ball and throws it to first base, he's so off of on his concentration, he throws it way over the first baseman's head. Jennifer takes the base. Bailey comes on home. Venus now advances to third. Things are looking up for WKRP. Having a good inning. Bucky is up at bat. He swings, loses his balance, and <laughs> falls down. Carlson and Venus drag him from home plate. Bucky knows how to play softball. There's got to be a lot of drinking involved with softball. <laughs> Andy takes his position at bat. He gets a hit. Venus comes on in. Jennifer advances to third base. Then Herb gets a hit. We think it might have been a double. Jennifer comes home, and Andy runs all the way home. Now it's Les's turn at bat. Callahan laughs as Les is walking up to the plate. Come on, Les! Get a hit! <laughs> oh, I think this inning's over. That Callahan is a real jerk. He's a real playground bully. Les swings, and a strike is called. We see the scorekeeper with a zero in his hand ready to put it up, but that doesn't make sense because they had some they've people already got, come in. They've got five score, yeah. Yeah. Well, Les swings, and there it is, strike two and strike three. Well, Les slowly walks back to the bench as WPIG team members are all snorting at him. Johnny steps up to meet him. Les, you had a good inning, huh? You got five runs. That doesn't seem to make Les feel any better, though. Moose is still on the mound, and Jennifer is working her hardest to distract the batters. Suddenly, Andy, Venus, and Bailey have all gotten a whole lot better. Their fielding is looking really good. We got three outs in no time. It's the sixth inning, and remember, we're only playing seven. This is softball, and the score is six to nine with the pig in the lead. Strike three, batter you down. Well, WKRP strikes out quickly, and they take the field. Bucky is at third, enjoying his beverage, when a ball comes right at him. He holds out his glove, and he catches it at his side, surprising himself. He actually caught it and didn't spill a drop of his beer. He sets his beer in his glove so that he can take the ball and throw it. I, I don't think this was planned. No, we slowed this down, and that was not an effect. It was not a trick. It really was a ball. And it happened so fast. Flying in at Bill Dial, and he stuck his glove out and nabbed it. And I think he was as surprised as anybody. There's no way that they could have done that, choreographed it, no, and done it. No, it, it, just, it just was. just happened, I think. They happened to have a camera on him at the time he made this phenomenal <laughs> catch. But then he does the greatest thing. You can tell Bill has actually played softball, because this is a move that only softball players know. You put the beer in the glove, so then you've got your throwing hand free and you can grab the ball. Andy makes a great play, and Les, well, he's still standing out in right field daydreaming. Lester, today's the recital. You don't want to miss the recital, do you? No, ma'am. I guess not. Hey, Les, we're up the back. Les doesn't even notice the inning is over until Andy yells at him. Andy is giving the team a pep talk about their last time at bat. Jennifer's up at bat first. Andy tells her to go get a hit. How about a walk? That's fine. Jennifer knows what she's doing. She's posing with the bat, smiling at the pitcher. Concentrate, Dennis. Dennis can't concentrate. The pitches are wild. The next pitch rolls on the ground. Ball four, batter. 
Jennifer gets her four balls, walks to first base easily. Bucky comes up at bat, and he's having trouble standing. He's kind of <laughs> weebly-wobbly. Jennifer distracts the second baseman, and he completely misses Bucky's hit. Andy gets a single at his time at bat. Bases are loaded, and Herb comes up to bat. He hits a fly, and it is caught. And who's up now? Less. He tips the ball back, and it's caught by the catcher. Well, there's one out left. Well, I don't know how to tell you this, AC, but uh, you're up. So the go-ahead run is walking to the plate. Art Moose Carlson is up. Callahan is smiling. This is Callahan. I think your station stinks. I think your car stinks. I think your house stinks. I think you stink, Callahan. You got that? It's letting fly from right by home plate. Callahan calls his team to come in, indicating that Art's not going to get a hit. Strikeout King is up. The game is over. Andy is not happy about this, and he asks Callahan what he's up to. I'm giving you guys a break. What do you want? Pulling players off the field is kind of a jerk thing to do, but it is not unprecedented. When he played in the Negro Southern League, legendary pitcher Leroy Robert Satchel Page would regularly have his infielders take a seat behind him as he struck out the side. Mr. Carlson is at bat. There's the pitch. Take one, batter. Here comes the second pitch. Andy calls a timeout, and he runs over to Callahan. Look, man, why don't you put your people back out there in the field? Why? Because I don't want the game to end like this, Callahan. No, this is not fun anymore. Come on, it's just a game. It's the final pitch of the inning. Art connects, and it flies out into left field. The pig players jump off the bleachers and head out to try and grab it. Jennifer crosses home plate, then Bucky, then Andy. We look out into the bases, and Art is speed walking. Andy yells for him to run. I'm going to enjoy this. He keeps walking quickly, but he will not break into a run. In the meantime, the pig players have retrieved the ball, and they are throwing it towards home plate. Art crosses home just as a pig player catches the ball and lunges to tag him out. The umpire calls. I should hope so. I should hope so. (laughs) 10 to 9, WKRP is ahead. Pig still has their final at bat. Carlson tells Jennifer to go on out and play center field. He tells her that Moose can handle it. Les is standing in the outfield all alone over there in right, and he says a prayer to himself that many of us have said, Please, Lord, don't let him hit it to me. player hits the ball, and Venus snaps it on the fly. Venus getting his stride. He runs for the next ball, actually slides on the ground and catches it. He stands up and brushes himself with his scarf, two big outs. The next batter comes up to the plate, and we hear Les as he continues his mantra. Don't hit it to me. Oh, please. Don't hit it to me. The camera is slowly backing away from Les, making him appear so tiny out in the middle of the field. Look at it, batter. The batter is left-handed, which means he's probably going to pull it to right field. He misses the first pitch, but he connects with the second one hard. The ball flies through the air. We hear the sounds of Les's practice violin. 
as the camera follows the ball in slow motion. Everyone is watching. The ball is heading straight to Les out in right field. Les runs around in a circle, putting his arm up in the air. Finally, he plants his feet firmly. He's got his glove up in the air. His eyes are closed. The violins reach a frenzied pitch. Bam, the ball slams right into Les's glove. He did it. He caught the ball. He looks down at the ball in his glove, shocked. The team runs out to Les, and they pick him up and place him on Andy's and Johnny's shoulders. Now, you you brought this up, uh, brought this to my attention. Yes, we get a jiggle jog shot here, which I'm blaming Fred Silverman for this. They perfected these on Baywatch, but we get both Bailey and and Jennifer get isolated shots where they are running straight towards the camera and doing a whole lot of jiggling. <laughs> well, the other players, they, they do like headshots. Got Andy shouting, yay, Lester throws his arms in the air, and you got Venus but applauding their headshots. These guys get the waist-up jiggle-jog shot. <laughs> well, we've got Les up on Andy and Johnny's shoulders. They carry him off the field as we hear this speech. <laughs> This, then, was my finest moment. A thrilling, frightening event like this usually comes to boys, and now girls, when they are 11 or 12. For me, it would happen 27 years later. I am reminded that George Bernard Shaw didn't have his first great successful play until he was 49 years of age. Beethoven didn't write his Ninth Symphony, my personal favorite, until he was 53. I know now how these men must have felt. Beethoven was totally deaf at the time, by the way. Not everybody knows that. He mentions George Bernard Shaw. Shaw was born in 1856. He was an Irish playwright. You may have heard of Pygmalion, a play that he wrote in 1912. He wrote more than 60 plays, and he did win the Nobel Prize for Literature. We hate to argue with Les, but according to his Wikipedia bio, the first play that Shaw made money from was Arms and the Man in 1894, which would have made him 38 years old. George Bernard Shaw died in 1950 at the age of 94. Les also mentions Ludwig von Beethoven. Beethoven was born in 1770 in Germany. He was a composer and pianist. When he was 21, he moved to Vienna, where he lived until he died. Beethoven's works rank among the most performed in all of classical music. He was almost completely deaf by 1814. He gave up performing and appearing in public. Beethoven died in 1827 at the age of 56. And you know that rule that tragedy plus time equals comedy. Well, I guess it was the late 70s by the time that Beethoven's deafness equaled comedy because Saturday Night Live did one of their most famous skits when John Belushi portrayed the completely deaf Ludwig von Beethoven. Look at him, Frida. He hasn't touched his food. 
Lord, he hasn't eaten in weeks. He has no appetite. Ludwig! Ludwig! Dummkopf! Good morning. Nice to see you two. Call if you need me. Ugh. <laughs> What a trio, Gilda Radner, John Belushi, and Lorraine Newman. Well, they don't play the usual going to a bartender song that we all know and love as they run the credits. In its place is a bluegrass tune with banjo, guitar, and fiddle. We couldn't get a hit on Shazam with the new bit of music, so we're guessing it's incidental show music composed by Tom Wells. We freeze with less in the air, and that is it. For baseball, what is up for next week, Donna? Bad risk. Herb gets a side job selling insurance for a fly-by-night company. His first victim is Les, who buys more insurance than six men should need. On the same day he signs the policy, Les has a scooter accident. Herb's dream of making money selling insurance goes out the window. That's going to do it for this episode of the WKRP cast. If you'd like to watch along with us, make sure to check our show notes. Also, visit us on our Facebook page at WKRP cast. Got a question, comment, or correction? Let us know about it. Write us WKRPcast at gmail.com. And remember, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye. May the good news be yours. The WKRP cast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders. Almost forgot, fellow babies. Booger!